Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Violet. This week's episode is based on the topic of national debt, uh, as asked by one of our listeners. And this may seem like quite a tricky and technical topic, but it is something that you may be still able to understand, even if your economics is poor or non-existent, we will try and explain it in the least jargony way possible. And again, it may seem like something which is only really of interest to those uh, who have you know, deep financial knowledge and connections, but this also has many uh, political and social implications. So the real questions about national debt that we want to tackle today is, what is it? Who is it owed to? And do we have to pay it back? The reason this is important is because it connects to wider political debates about austerity, tax rises, uh, and presently the coronavirus crisis, and how or why and when we have to repay the money borrowed to pay for government measures during the crisis. We hope you enjoy it. So I guess the first the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is the national debt uh, resident economic expert? So the national debt is the total amount of money owed by the government. Um, and that's the first thing to make very clear, is there is a tendency when we talk about uh, the economy of the country that we're all in, um, we use the word we. Uh, we talk about our GDP and our debt and things like that. Um, and in the case of national debt, that's quite misleading. The national debt is not the sum of all the debts owed by people in the UK. It's not the sum of all the debts owed by people in the UK to other countries. It's the sum of all the debts owed by the UK government. Um, so if you have some credit card debt, or, or a mortgage, or whatever else, that is not part of the national debt. The national debt is strictly just that which is owed by the government. Right, so if the government uh, owes debt or owes someone or something money, who does it owe it to? Because I guess the, the popular conception is that it's owed to other countries, and there's, uh, I guess, an idea that China owns a lot of Western countries, specifically America, and this is something that Donald Trump and many other uh, American and British politicians have made an argument of over the past few years. Absolutely. And I think uh, this is the first of the really damaging misconceptions that there are about national debt. Um, because when we're talking about topics like debt and, and sort of financial topics, there are some things people believe which are which are incorrect, but they're only really incorrect in a sort of minor technical way. And, and unless you care about that, it doesn't really matter. But the idea that the national debt is owed to loads of other governments and loads of other governments can hold the UK government over a barrel over its debt. Um, often, as you say, people seem to believe that this is China uh, and people's worries about the national debt are wrapped up in some sort of xenophobic um, idea. Uh, it is just not true. So the easiest way to explain who the national debt is owed to is probably to explain uh, how the national debt works and what the mechanism is that the government borrows this money by. So the government borrows money by issuing something called bonds. Um, the government is not the only thing that issues bonds. Lots of companies issue their own bonds as well. And every government around the world issues uh, their own bonds. 
And a bond is effectively just an IOU. So uh, nowadays it's all done online, but back in the day it used to be a piece of paper uh, that the government would give you saying effectively, we owe you £100, and, and each, each one has the value of £100. And who owns bonds, we'll go into a bit more detail about how bonds work in a minute, but who owns that bond and is therefore owed that £100 by the government is simply whoever buys the bond. They are sold out by the government to whoever wants them. Um, You can go and buy them yourself. Uh, Lots of individuals um, own government bonds. They're a popular way of sort of uh, saving. Lots of parents will buy a government bond. Uh, to sort of save some money uh, for their sort of children's 18th birthday or something like that. Uh, Most of them are owned by banks and pension funds and financial institutions like that. Um, And a large proportion of them are owned by the Bank of England. I mention that because those are special. Uh, We'll get onto why in a minute, but those are sort of special bonds. But they're owned by um, various institutions and people most of them in the UK, some of them outside the UK, but not by other governments. Right, so a bond is an IOU. You know, uh, the government issues these these bonds. Uh, they're bought up by people, corporations, pension funds, banks, uh, investment banks, and so on. Um, and eventually, at some date, the government has to pay that money back to the holder of the bond, presumably. Um What's the what's the benefit for the holder of the bond? Why don't they just keep the money in the first place? Why translate it into a government bond and then just get the same money back later? Absolutely. So part of the reason is, uh, as you said, it gets paid back later. So every bond has what's called a maturity date, uh, which is either 2, 5, 10 or 30 years after it's issued. Uh, and at that date, the government pays back the money. Um, but it also pays interest. So there is something called a coupon rate on every bond, which is a certain amount uh, of money, a certain percentage of the original £100 that the government pays the owner of that bond every year up until the maturity date when they pay the £100 back as well. So if you buy a 10-year government bond, you know that the government is going to pay you a certain amount of money every year for the next 10 years, and then in 10 years' time, they'll give you the original £100 back as well. So if if the government is is selling bonds in order to, to affect borrowing, or so, someone has to buy the bonds, we know that. Um, and does that mean those people are just sitting on a Scrooge McDuck pile of money uh, waiting to spend it? And you know why do they have so much money and how come they're unaffected by the pandemic? And how do they have so much money to lend the government? If the government is so cash-strapped, how are their individuals and institutions with with this amount of wealth able to, it seems, like effectively bail out the government? Um, To a a certain extent, the sort of simple answer to that is yes. um, The the people buying these bonds are mostly banks, and banks do sit on Scrooge McDuck great big piles of money. That's that's effectively what a bank is. Um, The longer answer is that... um, at the heart of any sort of financial institution is is making a profit and usually doing that from interest. And there are different financial institutions that work in different ways, that earn that interest in different ways um, and different types of loan. But effectively, if you can get some money from somewhere at a certain interest rate and then 
lend it out to someone or something at a better interest rate, you can make a profit off the difference. So the answer is that if they feel, if any of these institutions feel that the interest rate they're getting from government bonds is good enough, then they'll put their money into those, buy those up and get the reward. The only real complication, and I'm um, really patronising anyone who works in finance here, but fundamentally this is true. The only real complication is uh, the risk of whether it's going to be paid back or not. So uh, in terms of lending money out to different companies or different people for different reasons, uh, banks and other financial institutions don't just think about what's the number, what's the interest rate we're being paid back. They also think about how safe something is. Right. And they might be willing to trade off a little um, and have a little less interest coming back from a very safe borrower that they trust will pay back. Uh, and conversely, if they feel that there's a risk that this borrower might not pay it back, they'll demand a higher interest rate before they lend it to them. So I guess the follow-up question is, if the government is therefore financing spending by borrowing, and that borrowing is by selling bonds to um mostly insurance banks and pension funds and hedge funds and so on. Why not instead raise that money by levying some kind of asset tax on the wealth of those institutions? Why do it through bonds? Um, there are lots of possible responses to that. Um, and whether an asset tax is a good idea as far as taxes are concerned is a whole other debate that I don't want to have right now. Um, but the, the short answer is that the, the whole point of borrowing money by the government is that its tax revenues aren't covering its spending. So um, raising and lowering taxes is a big political issue. Uh, you have to take it through Parliament. It takes a very long time. Once you have levied a tax, even then it's uncertain how much you'll be able to raise from it. Right. So let's say you uh, put... 2% rise on fuel duty, how much income the government actually earns from that is uncertain. It depends on how much fuel people buy, how much people drive, um, how much less people drive because of the tax, all sorts of complicated things. And that money will trickle in slowly throughout the year. Um, the whole point of borrowing is that the government's uh, spending, which it has to keep up with, it's got to pay public uh, civil servants, it's got to pay everyone in the public sector their wages, it's got to keep the lights on in hospitals and schools and keep things running. Um, so it's got this sort of regular spending that it needs to do and raising more money through taxes is a sort of long and complicated process. Borrowing is about filling in the shortfall because bonds are issued, uh, bonds can be issued sort of immediately, sold to anyone who wants to buy them online straight away that's the way the government sort of uh, keeps everything ticking over. Especially if you're in a crisis um, and the economy's taken a knock, lots of people aren't working, lots of people aren't earning incomes. Um, raising taxes at that point to try and squeeze more out of people um, is much more complicated. Whereas issuing bonds, uh, people willfully come forward and buy them. There's no need to sort of force anyone into it or go through the politics. Right, so that, that makes a lot more sense, um, that you need to borrow because you need the money instantaneously, but taxes take a while and they, they trickle in and they can't satisfy immediate government spending needs. Um, would it be right to say then that 
taxes are effectively used to pay back bonds which have been sold in the past. So taxes aren't used to pay for current spending, they're used to pay for past spending effectively, which has been covered by bonds and it's used to cover the bonds when they mature. In simplistic terms, yes. I think there's, there's, there's two key things to remember here. One is that um, as much as politicians like to harp on about ring fencing, um, their government spending and, and government revenues don't sort of go to specific places. So the government spends on lots of different things and there's money going out to lots of different places and it earns from money to pay for those things. Um, one of the things the government has to spend on is repaying bonds that are maturing, that it issued you know, years ago. Um, so yes, it is paying for those out of its income streams, but really the government only has two income streams. One is taxes and one is borrowing from bonds. So whenever the government is, is paying um, the maturity on bonds, that is either coming out of new bonds or taxes. Right. And so presumably as well as paying off, uh, air quotes, uh, bonds through current taxes, governments are also partially paying off matured bonds by issuing new ones. Yes. So it's kind of a consistent uh, cycle of debt, but one which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just constant borrowing to pay a previous borrowing, but that is all used to drive investment in the country. Right. So that, that circle is another thing that confuses people. Um, and so the other thing we need to get into here is is the difference between tax rates and tax revenues. So um, the government taxes a lot of sort of actions. Like I was saying earlier, they might put a tax on buying fuel, or they might put a tax on people's incomes, or a tax on or VAT, just a tax on buying things, whatever. And so their tax revenue, the total amount of money the government takes in, is dependent fundamentally on two things. One is the tax rate that they uh, set on whatever that activity is, but the other is the extent to which people do that activity. And so if the government um, needs to earn more through VAT, for example, they could do that by raising the VAT rate, but that could also just happen if people start buying more stuff, they're naturally going to be paid more VAT. So when we say that the government uh, will need to pay this back using tax income in the future, and therefore will need higher taxes in the future. That's true, but we need to be very careful about what we mean there. What we mean is the government will need to have higher tax revenues in the future to pay for this, or will will need to pay for the maturity and the interest on these bonds in the future using tax revenue. But that doesn't necessarily mean that taxes need to rise. And theoretically, it could even mean that taxes fall as long as the taxable output has, has risen and you can still cover it. Absolutely. And that's why um, when we look at debt statistics, we don't look at the total value of the debt. We look at the debt as a percentage of GDP, because GDP shows you the size of the economy, the amount of economic activity that's going on that can be taxed by the government. Um, GDP is actually equal to the total income of everyone in the country. So it's directly correlated with income tax. Um so if that is rising, that shows that the government has a larger ability to pay it off. And fundamentally, when it comes to how sort of dangerous or damaging debt is, 
it's your ability to repay it that matters. So, for example, if I were to go and borrow £100,000 from the bank, I don't know how I would convince <laughs> any of the banks on Ilford High Street to lend me £100,000. <laughs> but if I were to do that, that would be quite a big a big issue for me. That would be a big debt hanging over my head because it's considerably larger than my income. But if, if Bill Gates borrows £100,000, it's, it's not a problem in the slightest. Presumably not from Ilford High Street. Presumably, no, not from one of the banks on Ilford High Street. So the theory of this seems to be the government issues bonds. Uh, that's effectively their way of borrowing money. They invest that money in various um, avenues of government spending. Um, the economy grows in the future. They pay back the bond um, and they have also reaped the rewards of economic growth or whatever necessary spending they need to do. And that's the ideal scenario. Uh what happens in the scenario that a government is unable to repay its bonds, or is that possible? It is. Um, this is something that various different uh, governments have had different experience of. Um, Spain has historically defaulted, which is, uh, sorry, default means not paying back your bonds or not paying the interest on bonds that you owe to bondholders as government. Um Spain has historically defaulted a lot, but hasn't done it for a while yet. Uh, recently, Argentina is the country that's famous at the moment for defaulting on its bonds every few years when it feels like not paying them back. Um, this is this is one thing that often confuses students because they feel like there should be some sort of higher power that can punish governments for it. Um, but if the government says it's not going to pay back uh, bonds, or sometimes what they'll do is they'll underpay them so they'll pay sort of half of the interest that they owe or, or something like that. Um, no one can tell them off. You can't, you can't take the government to court for that. It's, um, it just happens. The problem then is that in the most extreme case, people might then just refuse to buy bonds. So the government's reputation for repaying bonds uh, is obviously then tarnished. And then the risk on that asset goes up, right? Um, Whoever was potentially thinking of buying government bonds before won't buy them now. If we take that as its simplest and most extreme and just say no one buys that government's bonds anymore, what that means is that however much more the government was spending than taxing, it now can't do that. Taxes are now its only source of income. Um, and as I said before, raising taxes is quite a uncertain and slow process. So in practice, what that means is Governments have to stop paying civil servants, stop providing public services. Um, and in the worst cases, the economy can really grind to a halt. Um, the recession following Argentina's most recent default was pretty severe. So if, if a government is issuing a bond in its own you know, national currency, surely it would just be able to avoid defaulting on a bond uh, by printing more of that currency. So let's say, hypothetically, the UK government has a load of bonds due, it doesn't have enough revenue to hand, can't it just print more pounds to, to pay back the bonds? Good question. And that is certainly an idea that has occurred to lots of governments uh, throughout history, that they can just print the money. Um, and it's a sort of a, a part of economics uh, the creation of new money that confuses a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people can't get their heads around how it works. A lot of people think that it's the worst idea in the world. Uh, a lot of people think that 
it's just a panacea and we should just be printing much more money to, to cover everything. The short answer to your question, can the UK government just print more money, is no, because the government doesn't print money. Um, to prevent the UK government from uh, printing too much and ending up in one of the damaging situations that have happened in history, like in Hungary or Germany during the 20th century, uh, the government is not in charge of creation of money in this country. The Bank of England is, which is a separate institution. So, And that is precisely to uh, effectively keep the controls of the printers out of the hands of politicians. The Bank of England, however, could print more money to buy those bonds if they wanted to. So I guess the question is then, why don't they? And this is something that will surprise a lot of our listeners. They do. That is a perfectly normal thing that happens. Uh, the Bank of England buys lots and lots of um, government bonds, and they do so using created money. Do you want to have a guess? Let's let's give you a quick quiz. Um, right. They keep uh, monthly statistics on the Bank of England's website about yeah. how many, uh, what total value of government bonds they bought each month. Okay. And the most recent data is for November 2020. Right. So how many... Uh, in, in total value, how many government bonds did the Bank of England buy in November? Well, I have no idea what the UK total debt is, so uh, I I don't know if we'll even be at the right ballpark or order of magnitude, but I'm going to say um, 200 million. Not even the right order of magnitude, as you're worried about. The actual figure is 150 billion pounds. That's pretty far out. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Well, I guess conventional GCSE history wisdom states that printing money is inherently a bad idea and you shouldn't do it, and it causes hyperinflation, and that, that's obviously an oversimplification, but in what specific way is it an oversimplification, and where is the safe level uh, of money creation for a, for a central bank, and how do they determine it? So you've, you've sort of answered your own question there, in that, the problem with that reasoning is that it's binary, that printing money is bad or printing money is good. Um, and the truth is that it's it's a scale issue, right? So the downside of printing money, to simplify this massively, the downside of printing more money is it raises inflation. But it's not the only thing that affects inflation. The inflation rate is the result of a whole cocktail of various different things going on, of which the amount of new money being created is just one. Um, so depending on how much money is created, but also depending on all of those other factors that affect inflation and whether they're pulling it upwards or downwards at that particular point in time, dictates how much is an acceptable amount of new money to create. And in fact, how much is a responsible amount of new money to create, because not creating any new money could have just as adverse consequences as um, as, as creating too much. Um, and then answering that question and coming to that figure is something that lots of very clever people at the Bank of England who are paid a lot more than me, and who are much better macroeconomists than me, um, get paid to do is, is come up with that figure. Um, but the short answer is as long as as long as inflation stays uh, low enough, it's not a problem. So at the moment, the inflation rate is 0.7%. The Bank of England's uh, target rate is 2%. And 
there are delays to how things affect things and there's there's other things to take into account but if you want to think about it in a simplistic way that's not dangerous you could think well as long as that figure stays below two the bank of england can continue to create more money and buy government bonds with it once it starts to rise above two they will presumably stop Right, so it, it does seem then that there is very little or no chance that the UK government would default on its debts bar some kind of exceptional unforeseen cataclysm. Absolutely. Um, the UK government is a government that has a very good uh, record when it comes to debts that is generally considered to be very trustworthy. Do you want to have a guess when, and I don't expect to get the year bang on, but do you want to have a guess as to when the last time the UK government defaulted on its debts was. So, right, drawing on all my not extensive economic history knowledge, um, I know in 76 we took an IMF loan onto Callaghan, but that's not defaulting on the debt. Um, I have an inkling that during most of the 19th century, given the scale of the empire, we uh, Britain wouldn't have had much problem paying it off. Uh, I'd hazard a guess if is this a trick question? Is there actually a time it's defaulted? Uh, sort of. You're, okay. you're heading in the right direction, actually. I think if there's any point where the British economy ran into serious trouble, um, because I know that even all the World War II debts were paid off, if, if there's any point it ran into serious trouble and they did some kind of fiddly thing with the bonds, it would be 1930s Depression era? Uh, too recently. It was, it was before then. Okay, when was it? 1672. So it's a trick question in the sense that it was the English government that defaulted. Rather than the the British government. Since the formation of the United Kingdom, the government has never defaulted. Um, So, so, yeah, and and as you said, it's worth thinking about. This is is a place where economists often are guilty of um, coming to dangerous conclusions because they don't look back far enough through history and don't have a good enough view of history. And I was trying to find some some exact statistics for this. And one thing I noticed, and which was quite upsetting, is a lot of economics websites with data on the UK national debt and how large it was throughout history start in sort of the 1980s or the 1990s. And then the, the trend is upwards. Since the 1990s, the UK government debt has has risen because of well because of Corona, but also because of the the um, recession in two thousand and eight. But if you take the last four hundred years of history and actually take a proper look at it, um, compared to as you mentioned, compared to debt after World War Two and the Napoleonic Wars is the other one that caused massive massive spike. Um, current current national debt is has just peaked over a hundred percent of UK GDP. Um, after World War II, it was in excess of 250% of, of GDP. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, just because this isn't as bad as it's been before doesn't mean there's no problem at all, but... Put we, it into perspective. Exactly. It's important to put it into a proper perspective and not just the perspective of the last 20 years or so. Right. So we've established debt is not inherently bad. Borrowing is not inherently bad. Printing money done within reasonable limits, although what's reasonable is is a question far above our pay grade, uh, is also not inherently bad. Is there any downside then to having debt, or is is this just kind of the pearl-clutching, um, you know, <laughs> the, the pearl-clutching horror of right-wing political commentators? Absolutely. Tories who've never had to borrow 
any money in their lives because they were inherited it, suddenly <laughs> having a problem with the government uh, having an overdraft. Um, yes. So, as I mentioned before, one of the negative consequences that can happen from a government's national debt is uh, if the central bank isn't uh, responsible in its quantitative easing, which is the proper name for buying government bonds using creative money, that can create high inflation. The other problem is that there is a sort of, uh, there is what economists call an opportunity cost to the government's payments. So the more that the government borrows, the more it's then having to spend on interest uh, for the service of being able to borrow it, right? So it's borrowed all these money, all this money from individuals, banks, pension funds, whatever, it needs to pay that back and it needs to pay that back with interest on top of it. So that money then is government income from wherever, from taxes, from other bonds, which is not being used for valuable public services, for investment in the country. Um, It's being used to pay for the service of having been able to borrow things. And so that then potentially causes drag on the economy in that the government is not being able to put that to good use. So I guess a follow-up question is, why service the debts and the interest and why not just use that money to you know, pay for nurses' wages or more trains or better schools? Why use it to service the interest on these uh, on these maturing bonds? It's always nurses' wages, isn't it? <laughs> I feel like if, if Joe Bloggs from the street was put in charge of the government, nurses would get paid millions and no one else would get anything. Because, as I said before, default is really damaging. So if the government doesn't have the ability to borrow because people don't trust it to pay back its its bonds and, and uphold the promise it's made to pay those back with interest, um, they won't lend to it. That then means that the government has to spend as much as it taxes, and that then means a big withdrawal of, of spending. But we should say, again, part of the sort of the underlying... Uh, thrust of this podcast is that these are issues of scale. It's not a case of something being inherently good or inherently bad. It's not black and white. And if the government does default, it's not necessarily the case that uh, investors just stop lending altogether. They might just become less willing to lend. Um, And equally, that could be the case with a very high debt. The government doesn't actually have to default it simply has to look like it might default in the future and uh, banks, financial institutions, whatever, will then be less willing to lend to it. And that's a problem because of the interest. So um, the more likely it looks that the government is going to default, the higher the interest rate they will have to offer people in order to entice them in to buy their debt. So it's important to remember that that interest payment that the government is is paying out every year is not just dependent on how much they've borrowed, it's also dependent on the interest rate they've had to promise to get that borrowing. And so a relatively small debt can be a big problem if the government's been forced to uh, borrow it at tremendously high interest rates. But equally, the flip side of that is a very large debt can potentially be actually not a problem at all if the government's been able to borrow it at um, really, really low interest rates. Um, and that is pretty much the case right now. As anyone with a bank account um, will realise, interest rates uh, throughout the economy are very, very low at the moment. So 
um, at the moment the government can get away with borrowing a lot of money and not adding to that um, that interest repayment. But again, that's something people find it difficult to wrap their heads around because the extent to which borrowing is responsible depends on the circumstances. And if you go into any debate about national debt believing that borrowing is good or borrowing is bad, you're going to be wrong depending on the time, depending on the government, depending on the circumstance. So despite assurances to the contrary, this has been somewhat of a tricky and technical discussion. Um, But as promised, it does have very tangible political ramifications and implications. And probably the most important of them in the current climate is we have borrowed a lot of money, or the government has borrowed a lot of money through the issuing of bonds uh, to pay for certain things during the COVID crisis. Should taxes be raised uh, and should government spending be significantly cut in the near future in order to pay for this and to service uh, that debt and those bonds? The other thing that some people are sort of suggesting is even whether the government should be doing this, whether the government should be maintaining the, the furlough scheme, etc., um, to do this. Um, my answer to that is, is this is what debt is for. This is the point of debt. In sort of um, economics 101, uh, you learn about consumption smoothing, the idea that, that people prefer to have a similar amount of income in every time period, rather than to have sort of sudden bursts where they earn loads and then fallow periods where they don't. Um, and that applies to everyone and therefore sort of applies to the economy as a whole in the sense that you know people borrow and save money to move it between time periods to say, well, you know, I, I don't want this now because I might need it in the future or alternatively, I'm in a crisis now and I need it I'll pay it back in the future. So it's it's sort of unavoidable external shocks hitting the economy like the coronavirus pandemic um, that debt is made for. We should be borrowing lots of money now. Um, or the government should be borrowing lots of money now to then pay back in better times. The question as far as whether taxes should be raised is when better times happen and what they look like. So I guess this is still a very speculative discussion because the pandemic's not over. Maybe half of the the people that, air quote, need to be vaccinated have been. Um, we're not out of the woods yet. But this is obviously very applicable to the situation in 2010 um, in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis and the Conservative Lib Dem coalition led by Cameron coming to power in the UK and arguing very strongly for austerity raising taxes, cutting government spending in order to to service the debt and reduce um, the government or the national debt. In in retrospect, again, the, the consequences are, are still being felt, but in retrospect, does that seem to have been economically sound? This is one of those uh, topics in which there does seem to be a bit of a disjunct between the political discourse and the economic discourse in the sense that there are a lot of right-wing commentators who still maintain that austerity was was the right thing to do. And in fact, I think a lot of, um, a lot of normal people um, believed that the government was right when Theresa May said things like, we need to live within our means, we need to reduce the amount the government spends because we spend more than we tax. Um, and hopefully this podcast has gone some way to explaining... Uh, or dispelling some of the basic myths 
that allowed the <laughs> Conservative government to convince so many people of that. Um, as far as sort of economic discourse is concerned, there still are economists out there who, who maintain that, that uh, austerity was the right thing to do, that it was necessary, but they are definitely, definitely in the minority um, in the way that is not true in the political sphere. And I guess one of the reasons then that that disjunct exists and why so many people believe um, that austerity was necessary um, is because Labour never really pushed back on it uh, for reasons I've never fully understood. Uh, This was the central plank of the 2010 Conservative campaign that Labour had put the country into debt, the debt need to be repaid, we had to raise taxes, we had to cut spending and that was the responsible thing to do. And for some reason, Gordon Brown never pushed back on it. And neither did Miliband, to be honest, in the 2015 election. Yeah, so this is this is even more speculation now than anything else we've talked about. <laughs> but um, my personal response to that would be, I think they realised that the average Briton is quite fiscally conservative. Um, and that the average Briton is upset by national debt. And um, this is something that varies massively country to country. Um, Public opinion in some countries is very lax about about, uh, national debt. Lots of governments can get away with big national debts. And when their opposition uh, tries to to make it a big thing, it doesn't doesn't really go down well in the papers. No one particularly cares. In other countries... Um, it's a big problem. Germany really struggles. German governments really struggle to run up any sort of serious debt because uh, German public opinion turns against it as soon as it starts to happen. Um, And I think partly that's due to the fact that the reality is a sort of a complicated spectrum, a grey area in the middle, and people sort of rely on a a gut feeling of, of being too proud to want to be in debt and being upset that their country even though it's their government, not their whole country, is in debt. Um, and in other in other countries, that's not so much part of the culture. But what we need, effectively, is more people to understand the basics of how government debt works. And I think there's a, there's a few observations here. One is that the way that debt operates on a personal versus a national level is is totally and completely different. Because, you know, if you personally have debt you need to get from somewhere else more money to pay it off. But like we were saying, um, though they can't do it to an unlimited degree, governments can simply pay off debt, or the Bank of England can pay off debt by printing more money and buying up those those bonds. It's as if a person could pay off debt just by sweating and using sweat to pay off debt that they owed. Um, so that's the first observation, that personal and national debt operate totally differently. And because of that difference many people can't conceive of the way that national debt works. Uh, The second is that I like to think if I was a politician, I would be a conviction politician, and I would know this, and I would try to convince people of it. But I think what you're saying is totally right. If you believe that, you know, that's what most people think, and you can't shift it in an appreciable amount of time, you just have to lean into it. Uh, A third observation is, despite that, I think it was still a massive strategic error by Labour, um, and it shifted the Overton window or it kind of embedded that idea in public discourse and rather than pushing back against it and making it contested, it's now embedded it as a total truth uh, of British politics regardless of the fact that economically it doesn't really hold water. Yeah, 
I think a simple analogy that people can use to think about national debt um, so that they don't think about it like personal debt, because as you say, they're very different and that's part of where this problem comes from, that people think about the government's debt in the same way as they would their own, is to imagine it more like a firm. So if a company borrows a load of money, they're not doing it because they want to buy a new car or whatever. They're doing it in order to invest it. So a company might borrow a load of money, use it to build a factory, and then use the profits from that factory to pay back the debt. And so they're able to um, take on the loan and pay back the loan without ever seeing a, a decrease in their income. Or to use an individual example, you might borrow some money to go and get a degree, use that degree to get a higher paying job than you could have done otherwise, and then use that rise in your incomes to pay off the debt. So paying it back doesn't involve a drop in income. It doesn't involve going without in some way. Um, and the same sort of applies to the government, that if the government takes on debt and uses it in ways that are generally beneficial to the economy, that keep the economy running, that improve the economy and mean that it earns more tax revenue in the future, it can do it completely costlessly. If it's bad spending, though, you know, if you borrow money to build a factory and it's a flop, it's making something no one wants, you don't make any profits, then the debt becomes a problem. Spurs shirts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the North London derby was rough in this household. Anyway, if uh, you borrow the money to do a degree and then you drop out or you, you know, uh, you fail all the exams, then you don't get the benefit to, to then pay it back, etc. That becomes a problem. So, Part of what we need to think about with government debt is really what is the government using it for? If it's using it for sensible, beneficial things, actually, it's probably a good thing. So the key takeaways from this week's podcast are national debt is owed by the government, not by individuals. It's generally financed through the selling of bonds, um, which is effectively borrowing money. But that borrowing is then used by the government to spend and to invest in the economy. So yes, debt is a consequence of borrowing, but so is economic growth. And therefore, debt and borrowing are not necessarily bad things unless the government uh, spends them on silly things and doesn't recoup the money that it's borrowed. Uh, it does also mean, as, as a consequence, that the austerity argument is, is largely untrue, although that's a much more complex issue we'll deal with in future podcasts. We hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions for future podcasts, or any comments, then you can contact us at contact.theviolet at gmail.com, on Twitter at underscore theviolet underscore, or at our website, theviolet.net. Thank you and see you next week.